Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 241. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the man himself, Mr. Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Mike. Good morning, listeners, subscribers, members, clear thinkers who are out there trying to improve upon themselves. Welcome to today's show number 241. How are you, Mike? Well, mate, hopefully I'm going to be thinking a lot clearer after this episode. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) We'll see how many times we can sneak in for our listeners and eagle-eared subscribers the name of today's topic and book, Mike, because we are launching back into one of our revered authors who we've got so much value out of last time, and that's Shane Parrish. And this time we're digging into Shane's new book, which is Clear Thinking, turning extraordinary, oh, sorry, turning ordinary moments into extraordinary results. Now, apart from that little fumble there, Mike, I think all the work that Shane Parrish creates is extraordinary. We got enormous value out of our work when we did a deep dive into his mental models previously on the show. And I'm really excited today to dig into his brand new book, because as I think you and I have both learned from digging into it, there's a lot that we can learn from it, don't you think? I think the work of Shane Parrish is like so important for anyone who wants to like improve themselves, be a high performer. Mm. And the reason being is his first book laid out different ways to think, sort of a menu, if you will, of different classic mental models, uh, the Pareto principle, um, you know, first principles, second order thinking, all quite a list of them. But he's gone so much further in this book because he's basically, as you can see, the cover note here from James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, he's kind of done James Clear of clear thinking, of mental models. So he's built a whole series of systems, playbooks, and habits that you can follow in life. But I think there's another important thing. He goes to explain what some of us might not realize, which is that context really affects how you make a decision, how you think. Mm. And so unless you go to the root of how you're seeing the world, it's hard to make better decisions about the world. So for all of our Mm. listeners, viewers, and members who are perhaps struggling with big decisions or basically just want to lift their performance through making smarter, more informed decisions so they can feel more confident about their choices and the paths they take, this is the episode for you because what we're going to do is understand the context of how we think, the different ways you can think, but then how you make it a habit, a lifestyle of thinking clear. So this is really what's on offer in this show today. We're doing it with somebody, Shane Parrish, who is an absolute guru on mental models. I really respect his work. He's got this great background. He worked for a, for a famous three-letter agency in the USA, government kind of secret squirrel agency. So he's enormous <laughs> pedigree, and I just can't wait to dig in. Mike, where do you want to start the journey of clear thinking? Well, look, Mike, I think you set it up perfectly, but it would be remiss of me to not let the author himself give us a little bit of background around the idea of clear thinking. So we're actually going to start with a little bit of a segue for those eager lead uh, subscribers and listeners that we have amongst us. We're going to be jumping and jiving from the topics of our most recent master series and moonshot series on journaling into a topic that I think is going to really uh, 
illuminate, shall we say, the way that we can approach clear thinking. So let's hear from the author himself, this time talking with Rick Roll about how self-reflection is key. I think proper decision-making is rooted in the internal process of, of, of self-reflection. Like it's, a, it's an emotional, spiritual journey where you have to become adequately integrated and self-actualized in order to even set that vector to begin with. Yeah, in the appropriate direction. I don't know if I can add to that. Yeah. I, I, like, it's true, right? Like nobody's ever taught you how to reflect. Um, nobody's ever, or very few people ever sort of like sit down in life and say like, where do you want to go? Like, are you doing the things mm -hmm. that you are going to, we're, we're so busy. We're so focused on speed. Um, and the difference between speed and velocity is velocity has a destination. It has a vector attached to it. So you're going somewhere. You're not running around in circles. And we're so busy up until the point where it's too late. And then we realize that we sort of often realize that we didn't spend our time the way we wanted to spend it. But if you know what you want people to say when you're 90, you know what that mm -hmm. outcome is, you know what that destination is, which involves sitting down and thinking about it and struggling with it and knowing that that answer is not the same for everybody, right? There are people who want money, power, and fame, and um, they'll walk over other people to get there. So it's not a judgment on that, but do you know where you're going? Do you know how to get yeah. there? Are you thinking about it consciously? And are you living a life that's in line with that? And I think that those are really important questions to explore and not just once you explore them as you live, right? Like as we were talking about earlier, some things change, right? What you think you want when you're 20 is very different than say 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. And right. So you always have to be checking in with that, but back to incentives, I think that we're, we're in a culture where those incentives are misplaced. We're not incentivized to do that kind of internal reflection, you know, short of suffering a personal crisis that compels us to look in the mirror in a different way. Um, it's the rare individual who will step outside of the, you know, structure in which they find themselves in order to really take stock, you know, in a very honest way of where they're at and where they really, really, truly want to be. What bigger incentive though, can you have than you get one life and I know. The, the opportunity cost but, of life is but, like, but you're you born, only get one. You're born and then you're sent to school and you're, you know, on the receiving end of a tremendous amount of information and inputs and you're driving around and you're looking at billboards and you're watching television and it's impossible to not have all of that, you know, influence um, how you prioritize how you're going to live. It's a materialistic culture. We're told that luxury and comfort are priorities, that we should climb the corporate ladder, that we should grind and work harder than the person sitting next to us and, you know, impress the boss and, you know, get, get the new car lease and, you know, move to the suburbs or whatever it is without, without ever taking a moment to, stop and 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 apply a mental model to that well i mean it's easy to live your life by somebody else's scorecard it's hard to live your life by your own scorecard but only one of those is likely to make you satisfied mm -hmm. isn't it crazy to think mark that we come into this world and spend our youth just you know jumping around doing our thing and then slowly mm -hmm. over time you learn from powerful lessons of history, what works and what doesn't. Yeah. But it amazes me how much work there is to be done in better reflecting, better understanding the world. 
in order to make better choices about who you want to be and not who others want you to be. And it's crazy for me to think how much I'm still working on this very topic that we heard Shane Parrish talking about, living by your scorecard, which is harder Mm. but far more gratifying. And it is crazy to think that nobody gives you a book like Clear Thinking at high school or at university or the great absence of the body of work that we discussed in journaling how you have to just figure stuff out in an ugly, cumbersome way and make your mistakes and sort of very bottom up. What I yeah. love is the opportunity to take a book that can be a bit of a playbook for thinking about life and how much I use it now. But I can't help but thinking, why didn't I get one of these 30 years ago, Mark? I know. I know. I mean, look, we we, we heard it from uh, Shane's mouth there, or maybe it was Rick Roll. Nobody taught us how to reflect. And, and I think that's such a reminder, Mike, that when we study individuals, and, and I'm getting a lot of, you know, reminders of Ron Holiday in that intro clip, as well as Daniel Pink, you know, that idea of going as fast as you can in a direction, but not necessarily knowing whether it's the right direction. Right. I mean, talk I, about I've characterizing spent... years of my life, just fasting <laughs> yeah, yeah. forward without it, with reckless abandon, yeah. right? Look, it's, it's very, very great. It's a good feeling at the time to know that you're working as hard as you can. But upon reflection, and again, this is where the Daniel Pinks come in. When you think back, okay, well, did I spend my time on the right things? That becomes harder to answer. And it's particularly maybe even impossible to answer unless you do what this topic is all about around reflection, awareness of what you've done, where you want to try and get to, and so on. And I think fundamentally, and obviously we'll dive in a lot deeper as we hear more from Shane Parrish's book, I think the answer really is, Mike, this idea of clear thinking, clarity, concise uh, knowledge, and and let's call it details of where I'm going to go, but in a structured way so that emotions, pressures, KPIs don't necessarily get in the way of of that journey. And for me at least, Mike, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of others, it's very, very challenging sometimes to stay true, I think, to what it is that you're trying to do unless you have it written down, unless you can refer to it, unless it's tangible. Otherwise, it just becomes quite emotional. You know, it's something, a target that you have in your mind, but because you haven't really talked about it with anybody or written it down, then you don't necessarily remember it. And yes. that's when decision making becomes so challenging, doesn't yes. it? Yes. You know, and, um, I'm assuming that all our viewers, listeners, and members are very inspired about journaling right now. (laughs) So I would say to them, hey, guys, you know, do some reflection. And if you want to go deeper on what to reflect on beyond the journaling work that we've just done on the show, definitely have a look at, I would say, three resources. Uh, We did a show on designing your life. We did a show on starting with why with Simon Sinek. Or alternatively, there's Ikigai which mm. is an- another tool for you to reflect on what is my purpose in life? What am I meant to be doing? So if you're really looking to think clearly um, beyond using the work of Shane Parrish, those are three other shows we've done that really uh, jump into that. But mm. while they're considering the work of Shane Parrish, I think it is only appropriate, Mark, that those very listeners, viewers and members, but in particular the members get a little bit of a, Trumpet sound and a tip of the hat. 
Well, look, I'm very pleased that the Trumpets become such a a member of the show now as well, which is which is great news. But more importantly, are the members who are joining us week in, week out, year in, year out. So thank you very much, guys. And please, without further ado, please welcome Bob, Marjolaine, Ken Dietmar, Marjan Connor, Rodrigo, and Lisa, Sid, Mr. Bonjour, Paul and Berg, Calman, Joe, Christian, and Samuela, Barbara, Andre, Eric, and Chris, Deborah, Lasse, Stephen, Craig, Daniel, Andrew, Ravi, Yvette, Karen, Raul, PJ, Nicoada, Ola, Ingram, and Dirk, all of whom are our annual members. Thank you guys again for joining us week in, week out, year in, year out. It really does mean a huge amount to us. But again, hot on those heels and very soon to be joining Dirk and the rest of the team are Emily, Harry, Karthik, and Venkata, Marco, Jet, Roger, and Anna, Raw, Nimelen, Diana, Christoph, Denise, Laura, Smitty, and Corey, Bertram, Daniela, Mike, and Dan, Antonio, Vanessa, Zachary, Brian, Katty, Austin, and Fred. Thank you guys so, so much for joining in uh, the Moonshot Show week in, week out. We really do get that lunar-powered dose of good karma, don't they, Mike? They certainly do. And remember, they also get the Moonshot Master Series, Mark, all as part of your membership. So head over to moonshots.io, hit the member button, and let the magic happen. And while you're thinking about that magic happening, know that you will get the cheat code to life from us here at the Moonshot Podcast. So I think this is bringing us flying back into this uh, high-velocity game of clear thinking. That's right. And I think it's time that we unleash the cheat code from Shane Parrish himself. Yeah, that's right, Mike. We're now going to hear a great breakdown from one of our favorites, Productivity Game, who's going to help us understand one of these cheat codes from Shane Parrish's book and also understand a little bit more about maybe Tetris. Life is like a game of Tetris. Just as the blocks accumulate in Tetris, problems accumulate in our lives. When problems stack up, we're just a few bad decisions away from something horrible happening. A job loss, a business failure, a significant loss of money, or the end of an important relationship. But clear thinking can eradicate many blocks, making it easier to make decisions and keep our problem stack low. Shane Parrish's book offers several clear thinking principles that I've come to see as cheat codes in the game of life. Clear thinking cheat code number one, see problem blocks far in advance. Most of life's problems result from four decision defaults, inertia, social, emotional, and ego. The inertia default takes over when we tend to keep doing what we've been doing. It's why we might stay in a job too long and become miserable. The social default takes over when we tend to do what others expect us to do. We may consume too much alcohol because we're around people who are frequently drinking alcohol. We can turn down a drink once or twice, but eventually we give in. The emotional default takes over when we tend to do what we have the impulse to do. We might send an angry email because we're pissed off without fully considering the damage it could do. The ego default takes over when we tend to seek status and be overconfident in our decisions. We may pursue a high-paying management position but hate the work, or we might be so confident in a business idea that we don't bother to do market research. When sales don't meet our expectations, we don't admit we're wrong and keep pouring money into a bad investment. Being aware of these potentially problematic default decisions is like being able to see potentially problematic blocks in Tetris the L, the backward L, the Z, and the S, coming far in advance. Having time to prepare for these difficult blocks allows us to devise a strategy to prevent these blocks from accumulating in Tetris. In the same vein, 
taking time to simulate how we're going to handle each of the ISEE default decisions and creating rules to form a new default decision will reduce the likelihood of big problems accumulating in our lives. Take a minute to imagine inertia-based decisions causing your career or business to become stagnant. Now, what can you do to prevent that from happening? One possible rule could be, I spend two hours every Friday morning learning and refining professional skills. Or, I take off one week a year to explore new business opportunities. Next, imagine the social default dictates your life and causes you to get to the end of your life, wishing you'd live true to yourself instead of merely doing what people expected of you. How are you going to prevent that from happening? Maybe you implement a hell yeah or no rule. If you're not absolutely thrilled to do something, you politely say no. Next, imagine you live purely by emotion and succumb to your animal instincts. You frequently get angry, fearful, and indulge, causing your relationships, investments, and health to fall apart. How are you going to prevent that from happening? Some new rules you could follow would be, I silently count to five before responding while angry. Or, I never keep junk food in the house. And lastly, imagine your ego causes you to ignore warning signs, leading to significant investment losses or the end of an important relationship. How can you prevent this from happening? Maybe you create a rule in which you always ask, how might I be wrong before every major decision? And steel man the arguments of people who disagree with you. That is, create the best possible version of opposing opinions. Um, Mark. Did you, like, when they were doing the inventory there of these defaults, oh, my gosh, because yeah. you're, like, thinking, well, I have a bad feeling that I might uh, uh, suffer from yeah. default modes of inertia, ego, social, or emotional, and you're like, yep, mm. tick, tick, tick. Yep. <laughs> but tick, 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 tick. <laughs> brilliant about this is if you're – Going in with a growth mindset, you can just look at these and go, oh, I am probably have a bias towards one or two or three of these. And even by just identifying those and admitting and accepting you have those, you will instantly start course correcting when you go to make decisions to start avoiding those known obstacles you have in how you think. I mean, this is precious. Like, think about it, Mark. If you employ this now, how much pain and suffering you will be saved, right? I know. Honestly, those practical observations yeah. on the ISEE are like reading a map, you know, the map that charts your career progression, how you deal with any problems. And I, at the visualization of life being like Tetris is something I probably won't forget now because I think that's, that's a wonderful visualization. But the point being, once you understand, and talking from my own point of view, once I've understood that, suddenly it seems so obvious. The, the, the practicalities and the benefits seem so substantial to me that if I was to take a moment and think about what I am, let's say, um, stuck in a pattern, a rut, inertia, I'm, I'm intentionally following the same behaviors maybe, whether I'm reacting to something in you know, more of an emotional way or maybe I am kind of following the judgments or the decisions of other people from a social perspective, all of those things make so much sense to me. But like we heard in that first clip and like we heard from, from our TikTok star, Dr. Julie Smith, why didn't anybody teach me this? 
it's it's so valuable to be able to hear from Shane Parrish now, finally, <laughs> think, giving us these answers. Think about the cost of not mm. knowing these things. Yeah. That you have these defaults of social pressure, inertia, ego, etc., that are all pushing mm. you to make the wrong decision, or yeah. uh, um, see, not seeing the world how it truly is, but but being affected by those biases. Think about the financial cost, the health cost, just pain and suffering or just disappointment cost. I don't know how you value that, but the point for me is that even just the acknowledgement of these things can help you so much. So, Mark, Mm. I would propose to you, if you're not really sure where to start here and you have decisions coming up, I would say the single greatest thing that you can do is to start working in advance of your short, mid and long-term decisions. If you just allow time and space to consider things, even if you're not that good on understanding your biases, I would say it's very akin to, you know, we always talk about if you're doing a presentation in two weeks, you want to have the outline written two weeks before, because then you'll kind of think about it It's always when you rush things in the moment and you haven't had enough time to work on your presentation, then it never goes quite as well. I think decisions Mm -hmm. are exactly the same. The more you can enjoy considering them rather than, oh my gosh, I've just realized I have to decide something today. Like to me, that just sounds like, oh my gosh, I I want things to ferment like a good wine. I want to let it stew a little bit and yeah, make sure it's had enough time to mature in the barrel, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually, I, I quite like what you just said then, Mike. The, you can turn decision-making into something that is enjoyable. Yeah. It can be something that you take a great deal of pride in. You know, often uh, a, a case point from the past weekend, my wife and I have, um, you know, a, a couple of very busy years ahead of us with different moving into different states in Australia and, and changing jobs and so on. And we were sitting down yesterday and we were thinking about a year, about 18 months, 24 months in advance. Beautiful. And we thought, uh, we, we don't need to think about this yet. And then we caught ourselves and thought, actually, you know what? Why don't we start now? Let's lay out how we're thinking about things right now. Yeah. Everything on the table. Because most of it, you know, we're not necessarily informed yet. We haven't done all that research that we need to do. At the same time, though, what is so valuable is that it's turning it into something that now we can revisit over the next 18 months without a source of anxiety, without a source of, is this a crucial conversation? Is this something that we're bringing up in an awkward way? How's the other person going to react? All the way through to, and exactly as you've just said, making it a joint decision that is fun to do right? because you've given yourself enough time, bandwidth, emotional space so that it doesn't feel pressured. I think that's a big takeaway here. If you can plan in advance and remove that stress and anxiety, much more confidence based by the time you have to make that decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think another thing that you can think of in advance is which podcast platform you wish to give us feedback on. Because Mark, (laughs) thinking in advance to make a clear decision, is it Spotify or Apple Podcasts? On Spotify, you can now comment on each show. And I want to say a huge thank you to all the listeners that have started commenting. We've never invited you guys to do it. It's just a functionality that popped up in Spotify and people are like commenting on the show. Thank you. 
And for those who listen in Apple Podcasts, you can still leave a review, hopefully five stars. You can leave a review of our show. Now, we encourage you guys to do that. We give away this show every single week. The only thing we ask in return is if you get the chance, jump into Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave a review, give us some feedback because we love hearing from you. And do you know what? It's pretty handy with the algorithms, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, it really does help us get into the four corners of the globe. We've been lucky enough to have ratings and reviews from a number of different listeners from all spaces around the globe, Mike. In fact, I remember one individual uh, left us a review about a year ago who was from an oil rig in, in some far, far away ocean. So we not only <laughs> take a great joy from receiving these reviews because we love hearing from you, our listeners and our subscribers. But more importantly, and perhaps from an algorithmic perspective, it really does help the show get into the earbuds and the speakers of individuals around the world. So please, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please do leave us a rating or a review. Obviously, if you've got a recommendation for us, let us know. But at the end of the day, we're just pleased to try and get the show out into as many individuals around the world who want to learn out loud with us. Yeah, totally. And um, I think now would be the appropriate time for a drum roll because, I mean, I just don't, I, I maybe we are overselling this, let you out audience, listeners, viewers, members be the judge. But I believe that this next clip may be the most important factor in thinking clearly, Mark. I think you might be right, Mike. So maybe without further ado, let's hear from Productivity Game. Give us yet another great cheat code from Shane Parrish's book, Clear Thinking, this time all about that most important factor. In Tetris, you always hope for the stray block. It's easy to place and can clear out large sections of blocks on the screen. In life, you can make almost every decision and problem seem like a straight block if you clarify your most important factor. Let's say you're struggling to buy a car. Get out a pack of sticky notes and write down one factor that is important to you, comfort, safety features, exterior look, on a series of sticky notes and place them in a row on a wall. Then have two sticky notes face off and move whichever sticky note has a factor that you deem more important above the row and the other one below the row. Now have the winning sticky note face off with the next sticky note in the row and move the winner of that match to the top. After all the sticky notes have faced off, your top sticky note is your most important factor. Base your car decision on the car that scores highest on your most important factor, as long as everything else passes a good enough threshold you can live with. Shane Parrish says, there is only one most important thing in every project, goal, and company. If you have two or more most important things, you're not thinking clearly. When deciding what work project to work on next, do head-to-head -head battles with different selection factors until you find the one factor to optimize for. It might be learning, short-term revenue, long-term growth, or something else. The added advantage of coming up with the most important factor is that it empowers the people who work for you to make decisions without you. Your staff can be confident that you won't be upset with the outcome of a decision if they base their decision on your most important factor with all other factors being good enough. Yeah, so to me, Mark, this is like working out what's important in your life. The way I'm relating to this one is probably this year and in part thank you to the Aura Ring, I know that sleep is priority one. In fact, that is a mantra I say every single day. So it is so amazing to see how clear this makes life for me. 
when mm. it gets to 9.30 p.m., I know where I need to be getting towards the bedroom. And this has made a world of difference for me. And I will sacrifice everything else before sleep. And the reason for that is I know that I am happy and productive and constructive when I'm well slept. It just is how Mike works. And Mm. knowing this, it's a very clear orientation that I can have towards life. So some other kind of subordinate things that I do is I eat dinner earlier because I want to get to bed earlier. You know what I mean? So it's interesting to see these things that start to happen. Because if someone says, do you want to have dinner at 8 p.m., I'll be like, ooh, it's too late. I need to be closer to 6 than 8. Now, this is just an example of in my life where I've sorted out an important factor. When you think about working out what's the most important factor, is there something in your life where you've really kind of got it clear, this is really important? I think I've really prioritized the time that I spend speaking to and interacting with others. So particularly in a world of a lot of remote working, one of the priorities that I've realized, I mean, I'm not to steal your um, takeaway, Mike, which is also sleep. I also prioritize sleep a lot. What I've also tried to prioritize more um, recently as well is that exposure to individuals where I can either collaborate with them or in fact, just get to hang out. Because what I've realized is how much of a, how much joy I think I get from being able to share insights like you and I do on the show. Oh, yeah. We're able, you know, that exposure to different ideas helps me stay inspired. It keeps me motivated. That's something I've really taken away, particularly over the last six months when I've changed uh, my my job and role into something that is purely remote. It's very, very important to me now. And I think I always knew it, but really understanding the collaboration piece with others as my North Star, as my, um, you know, true North, I suppose, that's now helping me a lot when it comes to prioritizing the work that I do each day. So, for example, if I have a huge list, like a lot of us do, many, many different KPIs, things that I need to go out and try and finish, I will most likely end up prioritizing the things where I can work with others because I factor them as more important because they are relying on me being able to produce that work. So being able to understand the things that I enjoy the most and maybe the things that I'm pretty good at, I'm then able to think, okay, well, I don't have infinite amount of time. What are the things that I need to prioritize? How can I make the most value for my team, make sure that I can deliver what it is that they need in order to help the business or project or collaboration, whatever it might be, move forward. And that really comes down to, I think, the exposure with others. See, and I think this is where we're all learning out loud together about like how to like put important factors into play, how we're going to make better decisions. And don't forget, for all of our listeners, viewers, and members, you can head over to moonshots.io, get the show notes from this very episode, all the links and all that good stuff. But, Mark, I feel like... The last point of all of this clear thinking is it's all about making great decisions. And I can tell you, Mark, there are some decisions I've made. We talked about it, uh, regretting decisions and learning from the power of regret from Daniel Pink. But I think it, all of this is to make better decisions. 
so that you can be the best version of yourself. And I think Shane Parrish can bring us home, don't you? Yeah, that's right, Mike. We do have just sadly one more clip. but This time we're going to hear from Shane Parrish having a chat with Tim Ferriss. Now, this clip, Mike, like you say, is pretty special. He's really bringing it home for us this time. So let's now dig into the final tip from Shane Parrish, this time talking to us about that decision-making moment. How should people think about becoming better at making decisions? And here's the, the backdrop for that. You know, in the room next door, I have poor Charlie's Almanac. Yeah. I love reading about mental models. However, I sometimes run into this cognitive indigestion when I try to force feed myself too many rules, cognitive biases, fill in the blank. I get yeah. to a point where I fail from too much information, not too little information. Just like if a friend of mine, and this has happened a lot, who has no exercise habit, no controlled diet to speak of, comes to me and says, hey, give me an index card with like the 20 things I should do to get whatever, six pack abs by <laughs> the end of the year, it never works. It works yeah. exactly 0% of the time. And I have found that sometimes I try to take on too much at once. Sometimes I find looking at decisions retroactively to be helpful, but I'm not sure there are people who would say, well, we don't actually learn that much from our failures. I think Peter Thiel would probably underscore that. How would you suggest people go about getting better at making decisions? What are some of the approaches or tools in the toolkit? I think we hit on a couple of things during this episode, and I'll, I'll tie this in in a second. So most of the time when we know we're making a decision, we tend to do fairly well in that moment, <laughs> given the information we have, because we're, we're rational about the sense that we're, like, we're mostly rational. We don't get it perfect, but we're directionally correct. If you're thinking about, marrying your partner, you know, you're making a decision. If you're thinking about buying a house, you know, you're making a decision in those moments. We tend to be more rational. You know, we might be wrong in the end, but we're not really wrong, especially given the information we have at the time. We're generally correct. So when it comes back to general decision-making, like here's how you undo yourself. You can marry the best person in the world for you, but if you don't invest in that relationship, it all multiplies by zero and <laughs> investing in that relationship becomes not a decision, right? Like, cause you're not thinking about it as a decision. You start living with somebody and then all of a sudden, you know, you're arguing over how you loaded the dishwasher and, you know, it turns into not talking to each other. Well, if I tap you on the shoulder in that moment and I say, Hey, Tim, you're about to put gas or water onto this situation. What are you, what would you like to choose? And this is what I do with my kids. And they're always like, Oh, water. But what I'm really doing is like, hey, you're making a decision to escalate here. Is that the decision you want to be making? No judgment on my part, but like, I'm just going to alert you to the fact you're making a decision. And that tends to help a lot in terms of making better decisions. So mm. how are the, the moments that happen in everyday life? How do we recognize that they're decisions? And I would say the biggest aid to judgment in decision-making is the position you're in at the time you're making a decision. It comes back to a lot of what we talked about today. There's three sort of aspects to decision-making that I think about that are very counterintuitive, which is the position you're in at the time you make the decision. Can you manage your emotions? Not eliminate them, manage them. Your temperament, right? You don't want to be making a decision when you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired. You don't want to be making a decision when you're focused on 
proving yourself right rather than getting the best outcome. I have this phrase I remind myself with, which is outcome over ego. Am I focused on getting the best outcome or am I focused on satisfying myself and proving myself right? Because the minute I'm proving myself right, what tends to happen is I ignore all this information that says that I'm not right. And then all of a sudden I'm not focused on the outcome. So by reminding yourself to focus on the outcome, you sort of like open your idea and you get this when you run a business. It it's, tends to be a little easier in some ways because you're, you're so tied and wed to this outcome that you're looking for ideas no matter where they come from. You're looking for the best idea to get you to the outcome you want. And, and the third aspect is sort of thinking independently. Are you thinking independent of the circumstances or the circumstances thinking for you? Are you thinking independently of what the crowd is doing or is the crowd thinking for you? Because if those are happening, if circumstances or the crowd are thinking for you, you're not really thinking at all. But what do you have to do to think independently? You have to be well positioned so that you can think. Oh, I love this, Matt. Positioning yourself well to make decisions. Actually, the the build-up step, be aware of your decisions. And I think what he calls our attention to is like the big stuff. You're like, oh, really, really sweating it. But then we're making millions of decisions during the day. Snooze alarm, yes or no. First decision of the day. <laughs> That's a big decision, right? Yeah. There are so many. And they're as small as Snooze. taking a sip of water, having a break yep. from your work. Which, whether to engage in a conversation with a colleague, whether to um, prior what to prioritize over, yeah, it, it is an uh, an unavoidable and essential thing that we'll do every single day, millions of times, Mike. But you're right, and I think Shane Parrish, where he's going with this, is if you actually acknowledge and maybe even celebrate the fact that you're about to make a decision, and it could go one of two ways. And again, this goes back <laughs> to second order thinking, doesn't it? You know, we, we, we loved that mental model breakdown by Shane Parrish and second order thinking is still a mechanic that I use, you know, every week maybe. But when you realize that your decision could go one of two ways, it's either going to go well and generally most things will go well, you know, because there's not a great deal of stake at, let's say, picking up a glass of water. But at the same time, if I'm picking it up and I'm super tired, maybe I'm angry, I'm going to be more likely to drop it. Suddenly I might have an accident. Being aware that you're making a conscious decision to do something or not to do something then puts the power back to you, doesn't it? Suddenly you feel um, confident and you know that whatever it is that you're trying to decide or, or, or create or share is something that you've considered. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of decision making, isn't it? So let me do a quick question. I reckon this, will, this is getting totally, I can't, I'm struggling to answer it in my own brain. So I ask it of you first. Which decisions in your day do you believe you are least conscious of? Interesting. I think the um, decisions will be where I'm prioritizing myself, perhaps. Uh So I, I think there'll be conscious, and this is probably true for a lot of us, maybe, there'll be conscious decisions that I will in part when I'm thinking, how will so-and-so interpret this? I better be careful of what it is that I'm saying to that person. I think it's much less likely perhaps for us to really think about the decisions that we make that then impact us 
that nobody else sees. Uh, yeah. Like I said, may, maybe it's doing your morning pages. Maybe it's going for a walk or exercise for 30 minutes every day. Maybe it is at prioritizing your sleep. I think it's those type of decisions that not all of us will necessarily be aware of until we realize it. Much like you, Mike, you were able to look at the data and see that the way that you perform best is consistent, dependable sleep. But that's not something that you necessarily knew about before noticing. Right. Kind of one of those, you don't know if you don't know. Right. I think that's probably the decision that I'm least aware of during my day. Does that make sense? What do you think? Yeah, I can see that because maybe you're aware of the social implication of your decisions that affect others, but it's maybe either you gloss over it or you don't want to go there, or maybe you just don't think about it if it's just decisions about yourself in isolation. My one, I think, is decisions on time. I think I'm overly optimistic with my time allocations. And so I think that I often make time decisions about using my time, which are poor, because I don't truly think through, hang on, how long is this going to take? If I want to do these five things before lunch, pop, 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 or well, then I need to skip one, right? What I do is I do the mm. Superman planning. Well, if I was Superman, I would get all five things done <laughs> before lunch and I would get everything done. And I think halfway through that morning, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? There's no way I'm going to make this day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine that. And it does, Mike. It just comes down to what we were hearing at the beginning, that self-reflection. Totally. Realizing what is it, what's a priority to me? What ladders up to my why, my ikigai, and how am I going to get there? Yeah, that 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 speaks volumes, I think. So we've had a bit of a bit of a programmatic look at thinking clearly, thinking in a way that helps you make better decisions. Is there one thing? Are you going to work on one of the biases, perhaps? Hmm. You know what? Actually, I, I was going to say, Mike. Actually, that this awareness really spoke to me. This idea of being. And I think you sparked a little bit of curiosity in me as I thought about what decisions I'm less aware of during the day. And I enjoy Shane Parrish's observation that we should be noticing and maybe celebrating those. But you're right. The ICISEE, inertia, social, emotional, and ego steps. I think for me, it's considering the inertia, perhaps. What are the things, because I enjoy the variety and, and I want to grow. What are the things that maybe I'm holding back at a little bit? Maybe I'm a bit afraid of pushing myself. What are the decisions that I'm putting off and that I could actually start to really lean into? Is something that I want to work on. What about you, Mike? We covered quite a lot today. What's standing out to you? Uh, definitely being more aware of decisions. I'm going to start mm. with time. I think I've probably got a smorgasbord of uh, things I can uh, be actually just more conscious of them being decisions. You know, um, I think it's like, um, when I open my inbox, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that's a huge decision because, you know, like particularly in the morning as somebody who works across time zones, I open up that inbox in the morning and there's a lot going on <laughs> from all sorts of different directions. So yeah, I'm definitely going to start thinking about being more aware of the decisions I make. Mark, I just want to thank you for helping me put together this show. So a big thank you to you. And of course, 
A big thank you to you, our members, our viewers, and our listeners too. We have had quite the treat today. It was show 241 with the work of Shane Parrish, his brand new book, Clear Thinking. And we had some big lessons. First, we want to think clearer. We need to start with self-reflection. So a big tip of the hat to our journaling series. And the metaphor that uh, Shane Parrish gave us is that life is like Tetris. And uh, we're always looking for the straight one. And we're always looking to make life balance. And it's how you see the world is going to help you do that. And when you do get to making a decision, you understand your your different default modes. You must establish what is the most important factor. And as you all well know, it's sleep for me. And if you've got your most important factor, then you can go out in the world and see it for what it is and truly make better decisions. And the last lesson we learned was being aware of when we make those hundreds and thousands of decisions every single day. Make better decisions. You'll be on the path to realizing your true potential. You'll be able to be the best version of yourself. And you can do it here with Mark and myself on the Moonshots podcast. That's a wrap.